From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 231, and today's show is brought to you by Text Expander, Fresh Books, and Eero. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Jason Snell. Hi, Jason Snell. Hi, Mike Hurley. I have a Snell Talk question for you, Jason oh, Snell, that was excellent. delivered to me via audio form after we recorded Connected last week. Federico Vitici wants to know, Jason oh, no. Snell, do you rename the internal drives on your Mac? This is a fascinating philosophical question. I um, I used to, back in the olden days, in the olden days, when your Mac hard drive was on your desktop like everything else, mm-hmm. by I used default. to say Macintosh HD, right? Like right yeah. there on the desktop. So mm-hmm. I used to rename it and uh, often get info on it and paste in like an icon that I enjoyed, like a custom icon, right? And I that used was to like do that. how you personalized your Mac, right? Yeah, I used to do that. So this is that thing, like again, like I know I'm a very iOS person. I've been using Macs for like 15 years at this point, right? Like I, yeah. I'm not, you know, like I used to do that, right? I used to use a candy bar, right? Mm-hmm. That sure. was an customize app that you, all that stuff. You could customize all the icons and stuff. Yep. With. So uh, at some point, probably like a decade ago now, uh, a few things. One, I don't actually have my local hard drive on my icon on my desktop anymore. I don't do that. OS 10, I think by default doesn't show it and you can choose to show it or not. Um, I don't show it. I don't see it. Um, and then also in when I was at Macworld, especially, but it, it's true even now, uh, but back at Macworld, I would get, um, I'd have different computers at different times because I'm reviewing stuff. So I would like migrate everything to, I cannot tell you how many laptops I used because I would literally like, here's a new laptop to review, migrate all my stuff to that laptop, use that for a while, write my review, then migrate back. Or maybe I'd keep that and then there would be a new one and then I'd migrate to that. I did a lot of moving around of data. And uh, I think partly it was that. Also, I started writing like little scripts and stuff where you had to, we didn't have to. Um, I was bad because I'm bad at Apple script. Uh, I would often hard code my scripts to my file path and you don't have to do that. You can actually say like uh, the home folder and you, you can get your path and, and get what the volume is. Um, but I, the combination of those two things at some point I just decided, or those three things, the icon on the desktop too, I just decided it wasn't worth dealing with it that I would give my computer in the sharing control panel I would give my computer a name yes but that the internal hard drive I decided I just didn't want to deal with it it was the internal hard drive and as uh, such for the last decade my internal hard drive has just been Macintosh HD I think that makes perfect sense so I'm over it. I, 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 I choose to put my personalization schemes in other places. I have a custom uh, desktop. I name mm-hmm. my computer so it isn't just Jason's iMac, uh, parentheses, nine, close parentheses. I, I, it's not any of that. But uh, the hard drive is just Macintosh HD. Um, it's, isn't it interesting that they still call it HD? Isn't it interesting they still call it Macintosh? <laughs> well, that's true, actually. Yeah. This is going to be one of those things they just, they, it's like too much work to change, right? I think for the same reason that I said, I think it's a, probably a similar reason, which is like, why would they go into the effort to change it? Maybe yeah. changing it changes uh, changes a lot of things. What would they call it? You know, yep. uh, would yep. they have it be different for every model? Would it just be like Mac OS Drive or something? Like, I think they've just decided it's a classic. It's been there forever, and there's no reason to change it because by default, nobody really cares. 
And if you want to change it, you can. So, um, yeah, I, 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 maybe it also gives me a little bit of nostalgia when I do see Macintosh HD. That's like, oh yeah, right. Like every default hard drive ever on every Mac for ages now. Yeah, I, I can only assume like there's some stuff that's like hard coded somewhere, right? It that, may like, be. It may be. It, it yeah. would just break so much stuff if like, they change. Yeah, it. some summer intern was like, "Let's not call it Macintosh HD anymore," and then he worked on that the whole summer. And at the end, they're like, "Yeah, this breaks everything." Sorry, Billy. Uh, goodbye. I would Go like to, to thank Federico for his question. If you record mm. a podcast with me and would like a question asked to Jason, just tell Excellent. me after our recording on Skype. I will. But I will. It's probably better for you to send a tweet with the hashtag SnellTalk because that's how the majority, the vast majority of these questions uh, are provided for us to open the show. So I wanted to do some follow-out because a lot of stuff happened last week, but the news cycle has moved on and nothing really changed. So it's not really worth massively getting into as a full topic i.e. having to describe the whole thing and then do all of the follow-up for it. So listen to episode 228 of Connected and episode 89 of Download if you would like to hear mine and Jason's thoughts about Apple's FaceTime bug and the Facebook Enterprise Certificate thing. Um, The Facebook thing, basically what happened has happened, right? Like it's resolved now and the FaceTime bug has yet to be fixed, mm-hmm. but Apple apologized. That's effectively what's changed since we spoke about these things. And they turned off group FaceTime entirely in the yep. meantime yep. until they fix it, which they're going to do, they say, this week. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, they, they, they there's episodes are there and they include most of, if not all of our thoughts on those subjects, but we just didn't think it was worth talking about them specifically today, but we wanted to record that they'd occurred. <laughs> That's right. Let the record show yeah. that these things had, had occurred. Yeah. I, my only um, thing I wanted to mention about this at all, which is kind of a meta thing, when this um, when the Facebook thing happened, where that story came out saying Facebook was distributing, using their enterprise certificate, distributing apps to people outside of Facebook, non-Facebook employees, and that it was this Onovo thing that already got banned from the App Store, I, I saw a lot of people on Twitter and in Slack in various places uh, say that um, Apple wouldn't do anything about it. And I think that what's interesting about that is that it shows how, I think, maybe beaten down a little bit, but certainly cynical people are about how Apple treats big companies like Facebook versus small developers. We all know the stories about how Apple is incredibly by the book sometimes when it comes to little developers. They will they will point at the letter of their rules, even though it's not in spirit, and demand changes that are ridiculous. I had a friend who... Uh, was trying to release an app update and wanted to mention um, that it fit the new iPhone sizes and the new iPhones had been announced but not released yet. And his update was rejected because you weren't supposed to mention unreleased products, even though they had been announced. It was like, we hear stories like this all the time. It's better since Phil Schiller took over control of the App Store, but you still hear them. And I think it's really interesting how it has gotten ingrained in a lot of people's minds that Apple is going to behave like a jerk when it comes to small developers and it's going to give big developers with power a a pass. And I get that. And yet when that was going on, I kept saying, no, I think they're going to come down on Facebook here because everybody hates Facebook right now. Facebook's in the news for doing, uh, for doing bad stuff. And uh, it's very on brand for Apple to say, no, no, we care about this. You broke the rules and Facebook is trying to steal people's data and we don't like it and we're going to put you down. And that is what they did. So I'm I, I, not to say that hashtag Jason was right, but uh, 
I, I just I'm reading the tea leaves there. It's like when if if you if there was never when would there be a better time to come down hard publicly on Facebook for some bad behavior it did? Now seems like the perfect time, and indeed it was, and they did, and they also rebuked Google a little bit too. And, you know, they didn't delete their accounts forever and remove Facebook from the App Store or anything like that. But they did uh, do something. And I'm not surprised that they did. Because, again, I think it makes Apple look good that they uh, are seen publicly chastising Facebook for what is perceived as a breach. You know, more more information-hungry brokering happening by Facebook, which fits that narrative pretty well. Yeah, I think I kind of had two points on, on what you said there. One is, like... Well, I understand why people would have felt that way. And Apple only really probably did something here because they had a convenient punishment for them, right? Like if it wasn't a a situation, if the situation was all they could do was remove Facebook from the App Store, there probably would have been no punishment um, because that hurts Apple as well as hurting Facebook, right? So I think it would have been very unlikely in that situation that we would have seen them do anything. Um, And the other is like, how much of a punishment was it really, though? It was like two days, and then they got their certificate back? It was a slap on the wrist. It was a, don't do this. It was at least a public slap on the wrist, which was a cool thing to do. And also, it was sending the message that we're not going to allow this to continue, right? Like, like you need to... Because it wasn't just like they slapped him on the wrist, and then they turned everything back in two days. They yeah. slapped him on the wrist and said, that thing has to go away, and it went away. And Google, meanwhile, was like, well, uh, we have we have one of we're those so two sorry, buttons. So it's done. <laughs> don't hurt us. Don't hurt us. And they're like, well, we're going to slap you on the wrist, too. Yeah. I also... Uh, so expect so, that like yeah. in the intervening time with what with what we didn't see was all of the very very high level meetings that occurred between Facebook and Apple right sure. that, I mean I doubt it was very much a oh we're going to get rid of this and in 2 days we're going to give it back I assumed that there were conversations that happened yeah. Um, no, I'm sure. I'm sure that they basically said you're in violation. It's revoked, and then at that point, somebody at Facebook has to call Apple, basically, mm-hmm. and they're like, "What are we? We're so sorry. We apologize. It won't happen again. This was a rogue group. We had no knowledge of it. I'm shocked that there was gambling in this establishment. All of that." And then that's a reference. And uh, and then Phil Schiller gets on the phone probably and is like, "Okay, here's what's going to happen. We, we'll give this back to you, but uh, you know, we're aware of everything you register, and you know, whatever the conditions are, we'll." be watching you you can't ever do this again you know there are reasons we do this i'm sure there was some conversation back there but i just it struck me there there is facebook has power but uh, and and you're right apple's not going to shoot itself in the foot by like turning off the facebook app for everybody who has an ios device that said you know even like like i feel like apple had the upper hand here because what's facebook going to do walk away from ios no they're not going to do that either right like they're not going to do that Besides which, there's the website, so you can use... I don't have Facebook on my phone. (laughs) When I go to a Facebook link, it just loads in my web browser, and it's fine. So, like, there are... Uh, I, I felt like, yeah, yeah. Apple ultimately doesn't want to be the phone platform that doesn't have Facebook. But one, there's the whole uh, web thing, and then, and then two, Facebook also doesn't want to give all those uh, great, high-value Facebook users away. So, yep, uh, yeah, yep. It, what what a what a huge mess! I'm sure Facebook well, has lost some of the leniency that they may have had. Uh, well, that that I, I think if we can hope for anything from this entire thing, it's that right, which yeah. is which is uh, Facebook. I think that's what Apple was really trying to do with Facebook and Google was send a message like you need to police your own people 
because if this, I mean, if it came from the top, it came from the top. But like, if you've got a group that's doing this research and they just decided we don't care, we'll do whatever, it has impact on the rest of Facebook, right? Even if the executives were okay with it, like every Facebook employee who couldn't order their meal or get picked up from the bus or whatever is mad at those people now because they got They became acutely aware of the things going on inside of their company because it impacted them. Yeah. That was it. Was a good message, I'm sure, and uh, but I doubt literally anything will change for Facebook's just general ways of doing business. Anyway, let's move on to upstream. It was the Super Bowl yesterday. Super Bowl, Bowl. and of course, it was the most boring of all Super Bowls. That was what I saw. As somebody watches football, it was a lousy, lousy lousy game yeah i tend to watch the super bowl but just didn't this year for no specific reason and woke up this morning and was very pleased you didn't miss you didn't miss anything i i mm, yeah it was it was not a good game uh and i'm not talking about the outcome uh, both local uh bay area quarterbacks actually which is kind of funny um and uh the rams quarterback jared goff went to cal i saw him play all the three years that he was at Cal, and he is from my my place. He's from Marin County, where I live. He grew up here, went to Marin Catholic. Um, so were you rooting so for the Rams then? I, I, well, and their running back, C.J. Anderson, also a Cal guy. So yes, although there are two Cal guys on the Patriots too. I, you know, We Cal fans have to take victory where we can find it, and it's not in <laughs> Berkeley. So uh, anyway, but it was, a, it was a lousy game. At least there were commercials. I actually thought most of the commercials were kind of lousy too, although I have a couple of favorites. Okay. Um, I don't know what they are. I, I've seen, uh, I think I've probably seen one of them. Okay. So Bud Light has this ad campaign, which I hate. Which is like a king and a bunch of soldiers, and and they they added this character that's like a knight who speaks in this weird process deep voice. Who is he's literally like Duff Man. He is a laughable kind of character. Mm-hmm. But you know, beer marketing in the U.S., especially with the major brands, literally has gotten to the point where they they um, it's all about things that don't matter. And all the marketing is also becoming like, we know that anybody who really cares about the flavor of their beer is buying like micro brews. So they're leaning into the whole idea that their brand is for people who don't want fancy beer, for people who don't care what their beer tastes like, essentially, right? Like, just go with what you got, right? Like, if I was in the CMO of a a beer chain, that's probably what I would do. I mean, I laugh at it because they're literally, it's like, our beer is crappy, uh, but you don't care. So drink it. But what they, also do because then how do you differentiate against your competitors and so they pick out things so like famously one one of these guys uh was it bud light it was somebody uh who was doing um who was saying uh, our competitors are made with corn syrup but we're not which is hilarious because one mm-hmm. of the competitors then immediately on twitter was like we don't use corn syrup what are you talking about and the corn growers got very angry with them and they're like that's american corn you're you, you i know. did see that ad though and found it quite funny i did find that it quite was re- funny. really funny and yeah. then my, my favorite is that the coors light ads are all about how they keep it cold everything they do is cold and i asked uh, somebody i know who is involved in beer does it matter at all if the beer r- remains cold in all of these points and he says no that's marketing they, they refrigerate this place and do this all just for marketing so that they can yeah. say it 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 makes when you think of us think mm, cold so they've got cold going for them anyway beer marketing <laughs> is fascinating but uh this but i so i hate these bud light ads they're really annoying um and this it, there was a new one and i was just rolling my eyes and they're like oh the bud knight which is the the guy the duff man the bud knight is going to do a jousting contest and i and i jokingly said oh 
like uh, like like Game of Thrones because there's famously a, a jousting scene in an early in the first season I think of of Game of Thrones and um and then he the joust happens and the Bud Knight is hit and knocked off his horse onto the ground and I think well that's weird why would he be on the ground um. And then a large knight stands over him and, and Lauren says, well, that's the mountain. Like this literally, I'm like, they're doing, they're doing Game of Thrones. That's really funny. And the large knight leans down and uh, rips the head off of the bud knight. And I'm like, oh my God, they killed their mascot. What is happening? At which point uh, the dragon, one of the dragons from Game of Thrones appears and sets all of the other characters in the annoying Bud Light commercial on fire. And uh, the text comes up saying uh, the the last season of Game of Thrones premieres whenever April whatever, and I laughed and laughed because that required um, HBO to work with Budweiser to allow them to basically murder all of their characters mm-hmm. and mock them in this horrible way. But it was brilliant because. Um, and my other commercial that I liked was very similar in that you think you're seeing something. But you're not. You're actually, you've been fooled into seeing something else. And I was congratulating myself on the fact that they were making references to Game of Thrones. And then it turned out, oh, no, it's actually a Game of Thrones commercial. So it was really good. I was impressed. And I, I hate those commercials. So I think that was part of it is that I enjoyed um, the annoying king and soldiers and, and the, the stupid Bud Knight being <laughs> killed horribly in their own commercial. It was great. great. So I uh, I saw a quote on the Wall Street Journal, which I love because obviously... HBO and and Anheuser Busch had to get together to work on this, right? right. HBO's chief marketing uh, officer, uh, Chris Spadaccini, said very clearly, "The Bud Knight had to die. Like they were yeah. only doing it if the knight dies. Like That's it can't the whole be, idea, right? Oh, we just because it's Game of Thrones. Knight. Yeah, like yeah, the no, knight has to him, die but... because they're yeah. going up against one of our characters. Like, uh-huh. and and again, it's one of the things. Game of Thrones is a show where people die. Yeah, yeah, and HBO know that that." They don't need the, this Bud ad, right? Like, they yeah, don't need that. Exactly. Like, this is Bud's thing. But, like, HBO will get some headlines for a couple of days out of it. But So I love that idea of, like, no, no, your character dies if we're going to be in your ad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Uh, and the other one I liked, which was obviously only uh, in the U.S. because it's for uh, CBS All Access. So CBS All Access um, is doing a – they announced this last year um, – uh, Jordan Peele is doing a relaunch of the Twilight Zone. And that was a really good ad because it starts as um with the CBS announcers and a shot of the of the stadium. It's as they're coming back from commercial. And so it's like we're back here and and then it glitches out. Um and Oh, very nice. says CBS is is off the air and then and you and then you hear this narration and you eventually are on the field of an empty version of the stadium um as Jordan Peele is walking down the uh down the 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 middle of the field uh and it's revealed that he is giving the narration and there's a uh, basically a door standing in the middle of the field which he opens and steps through and disappears um because it's the door to the twilight zone and i thought that was just very well done um, because people didn't unless you were reading the news people didn't know that cbs all access was bringing back the twilight zone and uh that it was jordan peele and it was also it got your attention because it acted like they were coming back to the uh broadcast so everybody like turns back i found that a lot that i am so um I am so tuned in to ignoring commercials 
And then during the Super Bowl, I'm like, no, 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 pay attention, pay attention. The commercials matter because as soon as they go to commercial, my brain goes somewhere else because I'm like, I don't care about these commercials and I have to force myself back. Mm -hmm. But this was the reverse of that where it's like, oh, oh, the, the game's coming back. Oh, it's an ad. So, so yeah, but I like that. I like that ad. I thought that was really appropriate in uh, getting the message out about them relaunching the Twilight Zone. So according to a report from The Information, Apple has been telling various studios and networks, quote, whose offerings will be available through their service to be ready for launch by mid-April. Now, so this is a report basically stating April is the date or within a few weeks of April is the date for the launch of Apple's TV streaming service, which I think is a, a date that me and you had pegged out like early spring. Um, it's yeah. funny because April is when Disney is going to be demoing their service. So like that's kind of fun, right? Like they're like sticking the knife in a little bit. Ah, here is ours. Now, I want to just, that quote specifically, because of the way it's written, has I think led to a lot of speculation from different people uh, about what actually is going on here. And we're going to get to a little bit more of that later on when we talk about Apple's Q1 results. But So the idea of um, net studios and networks whose offerings will be a part of this, on the face of it, make it sound like back catalog stuff, right? But that's not necessarily the case, right? Based upon the kind of the information that we know about how this stuff works from having followed it for so long, that it might not be as clear cut as that. Yeah, I, I still feel like the most likely scenario is that they're just going to offer originals. Me too. But who knows? But networks and studios are producing this content for Apple, right? Like that. Yes. So, you know, it might just be like... Here's the question. Though. Studios and networks are different. Mm -hmm. I mean, even though they're often owned by the same people. Like, studios make content for yeah. clients. Yeah. And networks are the are the broadcasters and really the studios own the own the rights although that's where it gets mixed up because a lot of times the network is the studio and the the rights are with both of them so i i think that this is going down a uh, a rabbit hole of like we don't know but I, i'm just going to assume for now that it's all originals original movies original yep. tv shows i still think it's just originals um, we we seem to be entering an era where all the studios have their own owned and operated TV networks and, and all their owned and operated streaming services, and they're not licensing content anywhere. But I wouldn't put it past them. I, I think we said this last year at some point to license some additional content that's related to the material that mm -hmm. they're putting on. So, like my example was like Ron Moore. Like, uh, would they cut a deal with? Uh, Universal for Battlestar Galactica or something like yeah. that uh, so that they could be like, you know, if you like the Ron Moore sci-fi show, check out that we also have his Battlestar Galactica. Something like that might be the case, but... Um, you know, I, I kind of doubt it. I think it's, I think it's just going to be originals. It's nice and simple that way. All right, today's episode is brought to you by Eero. With Eero, you can build a Wi-Fi system perfectly tailored to your home. Considering the high bandwidth world that we live in right now, like for example, you're probably streaming content in many places in your home at the exact same time always, you need a distributed system that you have at home with you to make sure that you can get the best speeds available, whether you're in the front room, the bedroom, or maybe out in the backyard or something. And with Eero, you can install an enterprise-grade Wi-Fi system in your home in just a few minutes. It all starts with the second-gen Eero device, which has three 5 gigahertz radios, which allows for increased speed, range, and capability. It sits flat on any surface and connects either over Ethernet or wirelessly. Then you can easily expand the coverage throughout your whole home by 
adding in some Eero beacons. These are small devices you plug directly into your wall, allowing you to expand and reach that coverage into every single corner of your home. Eero also has Eero Plus now, which is a new service they've introduced. Eero Plus is designed to provide simple, reliable security to help defend all the devices in your home from malware, phishing, and unsuitable content. Eero Plus can automatically tag sites that contain violent, illegal, or adult content, so you have powerful parental controls at your fingertips. It includes ad blocking functionality to help improve load times for websites full of privacy-invading ad tracking. And it's also possible to have Eero Plus check the sites that you visit against a database of millions of unknown threats to prevent you from visiting sites that are malicious if that's something you want. Eero Plus includes subscriptions to 1Password for password management, Malwarebytes for antivirus solutions, and Encrypt.me as well. So Jason, I know that you are an Eero customer. Uh, tell me something about using Eero. Uh, just the, I, I like to talk about the setup because the setup was easy. It was essentially, if you can imagine, what if Apple still made airport base stations and they had gotten into mesh, mesh networking? They want to make it as easy as possible to add all of those different items. And the Eero app is like that. You plug one in and then say, okay, set that up. And then it says, do you have more? And then you plug the next one in and set that up. And it took no time to convert my entire house from my old Wi-Fi system, which was unreliable, to my new one, which is solid and it's just not an issue. In fact, I was just moving them around the other day because I wanted to make sure I had, we had some storms coming through, I wanted to make sure I had one of my Eros on a uh, UPS so that if the power goes out, um, the Wi-Fi uh, and the, the cable modem and the router will all still be on so that our battery devices can last a little bit longer. And I did that too, super easy. You should never need to think about Wi-Fi again. Get $100 off the Eero base unit and two beacons package and one year of Eero Plus by going to Eero.com slash Ahoy and at checkout, use the promo code Ahoy. So that is $100 off the Eero base unit and two beacons package and one year of Eero Plus. If you have heard ads in the past, you haven't got an Eero yet, this is a great price. This is a really good discount. Um, they, Eero doesn't always do discounts, so this is definitely worth jumping on. That's eero.com slash ahoy and the code ahoy to get that offer for upgrade listeners. Our thanks to Eero for their support of this show and Relay FM. Apple's dramatic Q1 results. Dun, 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 dun. We, were, we were expecting them. We knew what they were going to be, uh, by and large, in some areas. Uh, but I still want to go through some numbers, Jason. Okay. $84.3 billion in revenue, down from 88.3 the year before. This was the stuff that we kind of had an idea we knew was going to go wrong. Um, but as it's worth pointing out, this is sec- Apple's second highest revenue quarter in history. Uh, they did twenty yeah. billion dollars in profit, down from twenty point one. Now we have this is the first quarter as well where we do not have unit sales anymore, but we do have revenue figures. So services yeah. revenue is at ten point nine billion dollars, up from nine point one. Wearable home and accessories, which is a new category, which was previously called other. other products, um, <laughs> yeah. but they've now kind of categorized what other actually means, which is very useful. Um, is seven point three billion, up from five point five. Mac revenue is at seven point four, up from six point eight. This was Apple's best quarter for Mac revenue, up 9%, fueled by uh, new Mac Minis and MacBook Airs. This was a quote from Apple, right, that that was where that came from, the Mac Mini and the MacBook Air. We could have guessed it, but it's good to know. Um, 
iPad revenue was at six point seven billion, up from five point seven billion. So iPad revenue was up seventeen percent year over year, which is the highest growth rate in almost six years because yeah. of the new iPad Pros, which is mm-hmm. fantastic to see. It turns out that if you release new products, uh, you make more money. Turns out. The Mac and the iPad taught us that. I guess the better they are, the more you'll make, right? Because we've seen new iPad Pros in the yeah. past, but these new, new iPad Pros are amazing. So it's and, uh, and more expensive, So, but they have both of those things going for it. And pent-up demand is also a big part of it. It'll be interesting to see how this resets over time and mm-hmm. whether there's a big spike and then it goes back down a lot or just a little bit and what the what the levels are for the Mac. Um, best quarter ever for Mac revenue is pretty uh, impressive that's too, wild. right? Like that's yeah. the Mac's been around a long time and they've never sold as many you know as many dollars wise uh, max uh, in a year which is uh, pretty incredible and iPhone revenue is at 52 billion dollars down down from 60.1.1 billion dollars yeah, and even though the third highest though third highest right so it's the second highest quarter of revenue ever for Apple but on iPhone revenue it's actually um, not only down from holiday 17 it's actually down from holiday 16 uh, a little bit. So definitely a big uh, bump. It really, Mike, it's really reminding me of the year after the iPhone 6 came out. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I think there's a lot here about um, buying cycles that goes beyond just sort of like iPhone up, iPhone down. That has to do with like the iPhone 10, which was a completely new phone after years of the same phone. Um, and it sold pretty well and en- enough to keep the sales growing and to have a, have a record sales year for or sales quarter for iPhone last year. Um, but this year, the 10s is not appreciably different than the 10. It, it, it is different. We know the details, but it looks exactly like it. Um, and what we learned with the 6 and the 6s is that there was pent-up demand for the bigger phone, the 6 uh, Plus, and there was pent-up demand for a new-looking iPhone after the years of the 4 and 5. Um, and they had a huge year for both of those things. And then the next year was tough to live down as we lived through it and talked about it like year over year they just took the hit for three consecutive quarters because uh the year two didn't have the pent-up demand and the phones weren't as exciting um and and so the 10s very much like that what's interesting here is i think that uh apple said the 10r was their best-selling phone and the 10s max was their second best-selling phone and what's most notable about those things is neither of those phones had an analog last year. So they were both new that probably addressed some pent-up demand, right? The 10s Max had some pent-up demand from people oh, who wanted to that. be plus club, mm-hmm. but, um, but, but had no choice, really. Had no choice they if they wanted, the a, mm-hmm. they wanted the 10, but the 10s Max fulfilled something that wasn't there before. And the 10R, obviously, being not cheap, but cheaper, bringing those 10 uh, features down into this price range that wasn't available last year. Um, and those were the two best-selling phones. So I think, um, and we don't know for sure, but but my read on that was that this is that effect as well. It's not just the maturing of the smartphone market, or they're related. I think they're interrelated. But there's this idea, I mean, especially in China, but I think overall that when you have a new iPhone that looks new, that's appreciably new and different and wasn't on offer last year, 
um, more people will buy. And as the as the life cycle of a phone lengthens and you hold a phone even longer, you know, you need a reason to get a new phone. If your phone is still lasting, but it's getting old, everybody's playing the do I sit out this year or not game. Mm -hmm. And uh, if there's something new like the 10R or the 10S Max, you say, oh, okay, I'll jump in. If it's just, I, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who are like, yeah, I have a 10, it's fine. I don't need the 10S. And it's like, you know, buying a new phone every year is not something most people do anyway, of course. But I do think that there's something more to that, which is also, also it's an incremental increase and therefore less exciting, which doesn't mean people aren't buying the 10S. People coming from the 7, 6S, 6 might be buying the 10S. But in terms of like the big volume of like, oh, the phones are growing, um, you need kind of all of the things to align at once. Um, so my guess, my gut feeling here is that the 10R and the 10S Max actually helped this number be better than it would otherwise have been if this was a, if this was a straight up, um, you know, what they used to do, which is just slightly advance the ball in year two, you know, go from the seven to the eight. Uh, well, they added the 10 then, but go from the 6S to the seven, right? Mm. Like if it was one of those years, I think the sales would have been uh, way worse. It also makes me wonder then if, if we leap off from that, this weird year where Apple had like the three phones, um, if that's something that Apple is going to try to keep in mind where it's always got some model that is fresher, so that even if they can't do a completely refresh line every year, which I n I'm not sure they're capable of, we're completely refreshing it where they all like look different and are different sizes. Like I don't think that's possible. Um, I do wonder if their strategy is going to be like let's move it around and you know make sure that there's something. There's always something intriguing and new and interesting in the product line for people who are um, waiting for and looking for a reason to jump. Yeah, but as we know, and we're going to talk a little bit about later on today. We're not going to see that in 2019 because it's too late, right? Like they they definitely found this information out just too late in the iPhone design process. So uh, we were most likely to expect from 2020 to see differences, if any, from a hardware perspective, right? Like because it just feels right. like it would be way too late in the development of the 2019 iPhone before they could have made that decision. Like that that product must have been pretty much locked down from a hardware design perspective when they found this information out, which was, you know, like October probably when they found out that this thing wasn't going the way they wanted. Um, so yeah, yeah but, but super interesting. I hadn't thought about that, about the, um, the 10 R and the max being like a pent up demand type thing, right? Like even maybe hiding the crimes more, even though it already <laughs> looks bad. Right. But like if they would have had the 10 R and the max last year, that this year could have been a real, real disaster, right? Like if they, if they only had iterations or if they didn't do the Max and the, the R, like they just did the 10S and like the 8S or whatever, or like the 9 or whatever they were at. I can't even remember the numbers anymore. It feels like so long ago uh, that maybe it would have been even worse for them than it, than it ended up being. Um, at the end of last week's episode, we, we, we both predicted that they would say more about their streaming service plans. They did, but not to the level that we thought. So uh, there were a couple of quotes of interest. So Apple spoke uh, about working with TV manufacturers and the reason that they're doing this and integrating AirPlay and or content into these TVs is because they want to make it easier for their customers cons to consume the video that Apple makes available. Like that, they were being a little bit coy, right? They were kind of just making it sound like, oh, no, not just our content, like everyone's content. Um, and on that, the Apple spoke about trying to push more on selling third-party TV services. 
And I wonder what that means. My read on this, Jason, is either damage control or response to Netflix pulling out. I wouldn't be surprised to see some kind of business model changes from Apple for for this type of content um, going forward, that maybe they want to try and do something to bring Netflix back and and stop other people from wanting to do this type of stuff, to leave the the App Store for subscriptions. Well, yeah, for subscriptions is the key there. It's it's not leaving the App Store. It's just leaving the App Store for subscriptions. And I think think what they want to do is make the TV... Uh, app the center of the attention and at that point it's the amazon channels model which is um you want to be in our tv app because this is where um this is where everything is going to be it's it's basically saying forget this app store stuff on apple tv uh what it's really about is video stuff channeling into the uh in the tv app and you want to be in there and you want to be in there with all of the other stuff and and uh you want to let let us be you be your reseller and sell uh your subscriptions there um and maybe there's a deal that goes with that where it's a dramatically increased percentage that apple takes as a reseller of uh of channels um i don't know I don't know. Because when you think about it, I mean, even if there's an app behind the scenes um, that's doing it, living in the TV app is a little bit different than living in the app store. And selling a subscription in the TV app maybe uh, is a little bit different, too. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm sure that they're going to do this because, of course, they are. I My favorite thing about what Tim Cook talked about in there was just his... I think restating of something that he said before, which is the idea that we are undergoing a shift in how people... Um, how I mean, it's huge changes in customer behavior, he said, that will accelerate as the year goes by to the breakdown of the cable bundle that's been talked about for years. And I think that'll very likely take place at a much t- at faster pace this year. So we're going to participate that in that in a variety of ways through Apple TV, through AirPlay 2, as you pointed out, he says to the analyst, we've got third party TVs and we're excited about that and third party video subscriptions. Uh, that's going to accelerate in the future, he says. And then original content, we will participate. I'm not going to extend that conversation beyond that point. We hired some great people and they're working really hard, which he said before. So, But I, I like that he listed them yeah. all. And it, they also called out the Oprah deal again, right? Which is uh, the one they've done before. Yes, because we had already mentioned Oprah so that they mentioned Oprah again because you got to just keep mentioning Oprah. Uh, the uh, But that I like that because he sketches out like like we're doing all of these different things in this area because we do think that this is a uh, an opportunity because of the huge changes in customer behavior. And he's not wrong. Whether Apple can ultimately capitalize it on it is uh, an open question, but he's not wrong. The, this uh, the customer behavior is changing rapidly. I think it's interesting that he believes it will accelerate as the year goes by. Uh, I think that's also accurate. How fast it accelerates, the rate of acceleration is the real question. Yep. But since 2019 is the year where all of these streaming services are being announced and launching, um, or coming, you know, early 2020 for NBC Universal. But like, it's it's going to happen really fast. So uh, Apple will participate, but beyond that, they're not talking. Yeah, I, I genuinely, like, if I'm looking at reading the tea leaves here, I think that there are big changes coming to the Apple TV. Um, and, like, for example, if there were, if Apple were going to start saying, you know, be in the TV app, like, don't worry about your app as much and we'll we'll give you a sweet cut. And then they just have a device that doesn't have apps. It has TV and it has the iTunes store and you can sign up for Netflix, right? And Netflix is just there in the TV app. Like you don't have to get the Netflix app anymore and kind of simplify things. I don't know, but like it feels like that they're putting a lot more emphasis on the idea of being an over-the-top cable provider than 
an app store, right? Like it feels like there's like a change in the wording that they're using, like way more focusing on like, we're going to help third parties sell their TV services, which is a very different way of talking about things than what they've done in the past. So I don't know. I'm keen to see what they do there. Peter Kafka put it quite nicely. He said like, so if you take everything they said, put it all in one place, speed it up, what you get is we're going to sell a bundle of app of other people's TV shows and movies. We're going to add our own and make sure you can watch it anywhere you want. Yep. So, I, But I'm keen to see what the the other people part looks like because I, I don't feel like I have a great handle on if or what they're going to change in that to make it more amenable and maybe less about the app store if anything so i'm keen to see what they do there but we learned a bunch of other stuff from the call so a couple of things on pricing obviously pricing something that a lot of people are thinking about right now um, pricing is a reason that a lot of people are saying apple maybe missed the mark here in some areas so apple believed the 10r is priced right as it was in the middle of where the entry iphone 8 and entry iphone 8 plus have been priced so Tim Cook, this is a Tim Cook quote, says actually a pretty small difference in the United States compared to last year. Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, this is this I, sucks I, as a quote. I rolled my right? eyes here. So, so they, they they literally asked him um, point blank in the Q and A, and there weren't that many questions because they Apple kind of I think strategically took most of the call just reading their statements, mm-hmm. their prepared statements. So there was very little back and forth in the call. Few analysts in the analyst call. Um, I think that's telling too. Somebody should chart how much uh, time they take with their prepared statements. That would be a funny thing to do. <laughs> and correlate um, it with the earnings. <laughs> with the results, sure. Uh, the Or with the stock price move yeah. on the uh, after hours. Uh, so what they, they asked point blank, do you think that the iPhone is priced too high in the US? Or priced too high, period. And, and, and Tim Cook, given the opportunity to say, yeah, yeah, we did that. He, he didn't. He said, no, it's fine. He said... And his his logic was uh, poor, I'll say, because what he said was, well, you know, the 10s is priced the same as the 10. She's like, okay, the 10 set records. It was the most expensive iPhone ever when you put it on sale last year. So uh, you you just kicked that back a year, but it's still. Let's ask that question. He said, and you know, the 10s Max is just a hundred dollars more than that. And then he moved on. I'm like, but okay, so you just said. Uh, that doesn't answer like the pricing. It's like, yes, it's more. It costs even more than the phone you introduced last year, which was the most expensive iPhone ever. And then on the 10R, he gives this answer where he's like, well, if you average the price of the 8 and the 8 Plus, it's right in the middle of those. So it's fine. Which again, uh, the, eight, the 8 itself was more expensive than the 7. And of course, the 8 was cheaper than the 10R, uh, because people don't buy an average price. They buy a phone, one or the other. And that was his best way of trying to explain the 10R being a low price phone is that it was uh, basically between the 8 and the 8 Plus. And this is a non-answer. It's obviously a coached non-answer. It is his way of saying, we're not going to change the prices. We think that they're great um, in, a, in a way that is just kind of, uh, it's like nonsense marketing words. And uh, I was a little disappointed because I just rolled my eyes. It's like, come on, man. Just uh, say, that they're they provide value and and they you know the sales in the u.s were fine and it's fine um he did go on to admit that they've really gotten hit overseas in a 
lot of places, a lot of territories with this, because in addition to the high prices, I will say that he won't say of these phones, uh, there were foreign exchange issues, which made them even more expensive than they were last year, even by Tim's uh, comparison with the iPhone 10. And in a little bit of an announcement, I think, I don't think Apple had said this somewhere, they were yeah. they were actually undertaking some repricing in different markets uh, in January in order to get the prices to be close to or to match what the price was last year, which is basically that they're eating into their margin or they're eating some of that foreign exchange consequence in order to get the phone this year to cost what the phone cost last year because it was uh, more expensive because the dollar was too strong. I have not been able to find any evidence of price changes. I've spent some time looking for this today. Um, I don't know if they are available to people yet. It may not be. Yeah. And Tim's view of what happens in January might be we agreed to do it, but but yes. who knows if it's actually been case, done. Because I, I can't find it. But that's what they're talking about. The idea that if you're in some territory where where you know it used to call cost X of whatever your currency is last year and then like for the 10 and then the 10s comes out and it costs x plus some number and you're like oh my god they raised the price and they did it because of foreign exchange it might be that they go back to x or close to x mm-hmm. uh in the near future um, because they do believe that that was uh, a drain so basically the u.s it's priced fine according to apple but it's just everywhere else where you take apple's high prices and then you add on foreign exchange that it's too high priced apparently I sincerely doubt that they will um, give anybody gift cards like they did when they reduced the original iPhone's price. Uh, <laughs> remember that? Like if you bought the iPhone, yeah, they gave people gift cards. I don't know gift if it's for the full value or like no, it I, wasn't. I don't remember. But like no, they cut the know. price like two or three hundred dollars and yep. gave everybody a hundred dollar gift card. I, like I that. sincerely <laughs> doubt it's that, not gonna happen. Uh, we're going to get gift cards in Europe for our expensive nope. iPhones. Um, so one of the reasons that they spent talking some time about why iPhone sales could be slowing is because the phones are lasting longer. So they're trying to take a negative turn into a positive. I'll, I'll read a quote from Tim. Some people hold on to those for the life of the product and some people trade them in and then that phone is then redistributed to someone else. The upgrade cycle has extended. There's no doubt, no doubt about that. Where it goes in the future, I don't know, but I'm convinced that making a great product that is high quality is the best thing for the customer and we work for the user and so that's the way we look at it. Now, whilst this is bad for Apple's earnings, if they do genuinely believe this, which I believe that they do believe it, and if they don't change anything because they you know because of these results changing it feels like a good thing right like make the best thing you can make it is i feel like it's apple kind of surfing with the conditions or maybe it is i don't know skating where the puck should be we don't have ice here in california but uh if look the upgrade cycle is extending right so what does apple do and i think the argument here is that apple would much prefer if everybody bought a new phone every two years and the old cellular plans in the US at least, basically when you got to the end of your second year with your phone, you were throwing money away if you didn't get a new phone. You essentially were throwing money away because you were still paying a subsidy that was no longer funding your phone. You were just paying it and it was just profit for the carrier. That used to be how it worked. It was ridiculous. Um, And as a result, like with all those two-year cycles, everybody would get a new phone every two years. Well, that's not happening anymore. Um, There are a bunch of other places with subsidies like Japan where it's going away. It's going away. Um, And so now Apple is not going to sell as many iPhones, right? It's, It's not. That was really good for business. So 
they're going with this new world we live in and saying, all right, if the average phone is being used for three or four years or five years, um, here's what we need to do. We need to make sure that they they last and that they uh, work well for that whole period of time so that in the end, people have a positive experience. They continue to be our customer. They stay in our ecosystem and ultimately they get a new phone when they're ready. And so it's that combination. It's like when Apple talks about privacy. It is a combination of a good business decision, a smart business decision, and also, I think, the the belief that it is the right thing to do, that they didn't come on the line with the analysts and say, well, our goal is to make our phones uh, break after a year and a half so that people just have to buy a new phone. We're going to make them as poorly as possible and uh, unreliable so that they'll have to buy a new model. Because the argument is, and Apple has made it, that if you make the phone really bad and it breaks really soon, why would they come back to you? Why would they not go to a competitor? So I I don't think this is Apple's great largesse in saying, hey, everybody, stop buying iPhones so often. You don't need to do that. It's wasteful. That's not what they're saying, right? They're saying, oh, you're buying them less often. Um, We need to change our approach here. And that approach is maybe make them last longer. Um, people know about the battery program, so that's going to make them last longer. Uh, they're going to charge more for them, but they're going to put kind of like more expensive parts into them. And uh, they're going to make the OS uh, survive on old hardware longer. And that's that's their strategy now. But I think, I think it's probably fair to say that it's a strategy born out of the fact that uh, buying cycles are lengthening and not uh, sort of like trying to create that reality. That reality already exists. They're just going with it. Part of this new reality is talking about the installed base on oh, yeah. earnings calls. Now, we hear these numbers every now and then thrown out at like WWDC. They use like a version of these numbers sometimes. Um, but this is talking about them. And they're kind of being a bit loosey-goosey about how often we're going to hear about this. Um, yes. This is not a thing we're going to hear about every time. <laughs> Apple will tell us this either A, when they need a good news thing, or B, yeah. when it goes up. <laughs> um, and so the installed yeah. base is how many... Uh, iPhones and or right. iOS devices. Is it iPhones? Well, so the, here's the thing. So they, they, they gave they gave a um, global install base, and I think they've talked about iOS install base before. They have not talked about iPhone install base on its own before. This is right. a new number, the and they said we will... This is, their, this is their, like, throwing a bone to people who are complaining mm-hmm. about not having numbers for iPhones, which is occasionally we'll tell you about all, this number about all iPhones in use, which is, I was going to say a made-up number. It's probably not a made-up number because they um, they get the, the, you know, all iPhones that are activated are passed through the system. And so they actually probably have a, a number of active iPhones that they can measure. Um, we always used to estimate the Mac install base back in the old days at, at Macworld and Mac user as a way to explain to people like what the you know what the size of the market was and and uh, for advertising they would do that um, and I always felt like it was kind of made up because you're basically trying to do some math about well how long does a Mac stay in service and how and then you age them out and you build it up and it's the total number so it's how many iPhones in this case are being used you know right now. Um, they're currently in use. And Apple says it's 900 million, which is a new number, which means that probably in the next year or two, we'll get a press release from Apple saying uh, a billion iPhones in use. Yeah. That'll probably be the next time we hear about this number. Could be longer because it only grew it, by 75 million in the last year. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, next year or two, like I said. I think yeah. I think if it grew 75 million in the last year, then, then in 2020, Sorry, it'll yeah, probably be too, yeah. a billion yeah. iPhones in use. Very true. So they said it's up year over year in all markets, um, which I mean, if you st- it's like what, at first glance, I was like, huh, really? But I was like, oh well, yeah, of course, because 
people that have their iPhones are keeping them. So exactly. The people that are only buying, not only, but like a, a larger amount of people that are buying them are probably new iPhone users. So, yeah. if, so if how do you show ex- growth yeah. if your year-over-year growth isn't going up and your buying cycle is extending? And the answer is, quote the installed base, because that if that is still growing, then you can quote that. And it's still growing, which means what what's happening is people are keeping their iPhones and then they're selling new iPhones. But people are also, you know, a lot of people are keeping their iPhones and then they're more net iPhones in service at any given time. But this is where Apple is now, right? Like that's where they need to show install base growth. It fits into their services narrative because those mm-hmm. people are all theoretically eligible to be paying Apple money for services as well. But it is also the, uh, uh, maybe not the last refuge, but a refuge of a company that can no longer point to sales figures or even right now revenue figures and show growth on their most important product. So uh, China... China's a problem for them right now, and it's going to be a problem for a while, I think. Um, Apple have put so much effort into China, like even in the hardware. You know, they they created the dual SIM for China. Uh, They've put, but they're not reaping the rewards right now. It's down 4.8 billion year over year. Uh, China is a big reason. It's not the only reason because the numbers don't add up. Like, I still don't get that idea of where they said in that press release, like, oh, it accounts for the entire revenue drop. It counts for the entire shortfall from their estimate. But the iPhone still would have been down because the iPhone was down like $9 billion. So... (laughs) Anyway, uh, so yeah, like sure, they, they, I, I'm, I feel pretty vindicated in that, right? Because it was like it's, it didn't feel right when they said that in that press release, and it's like, yeah, maybe the overall revenue, but there were lots of things that were up. The iPhone was still struggling, which means the iPhone's issues extended beyond China, right? And th- yes, this was something sure. that we believed, and that is confirmed now that the iPhone's issues were not just a China problem; it was an issue. In many other places, uh, so yeah, that we can see that now because we have those numbers. But uh, that is continuing to be an issue for them. It's probably going to continue to be an issue for them, which is I expect why guidance for Q two they are guiding another down quarter. Apple's yes. guidance is three percent down year over year, which is wild, right? That like this is the first time. In who know in in many 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 years that they have put their guidance down right like we had a record last with this quarter where it's like oh and they had to adjust it the next one is like oh guidance is down uh, Carolina Milanese who is a frequent um, contributor to the download podcast on Relay FM um, predicts that this is because of she she thinks will be poor sales for Chinese New Year. Um, and if the TV service is launched, Carolina believes that this might be something saying that it could be U.S. only yeah. because maybe they're not going to see that. I don't think appreciable TV service revenue is going to happen this quarter regardless of when they launch it because they'll probably do it with a free trial. So there'll be no revenue there. And, Good um, point. The reports are that they're going to launch it quickly. Uh, elsewhere yeah. and i tend to believe that because they're probably the contracts are probably in place that they own worldwide rights to all this stuff and we'll just it's just a matter of rolling it out and maybe marketing it in different countries and also if there are different laws in different countries about like having local content and things like that if they've got mm-hmm. some european content coming a little bit later they might wait to launch it in europe until that comes out there's you know there's a bunch of stuff but i i don't think it tells us anything about the tv service i i do think though that you know it does mean apple is battening down the hatches in terms of iphone sales and keep in mind also you know they're not going to have a new ipad 
to uh, in this quarter, and and they're not going to have new probably new uh, Macs in this quarter. Maybe new iMacs or something. But like so, this quarter is already yeah. already a month gone, and mm-hmm. and so so those numbers are probably going to recede a little bit, and then the iPhone is going to stay down, and that means they're going to be down year over year. So it's it's not um, not surprising, of course. Uh, from a Wall Street perspective, th- the most important thing probably is that they now hit this guidance, right? <laughs> like the guide oh, correctly, because yeah. that nobody wants to be surprised. So they're they're it'll be something to watch about whether they're sandbagging this a little bit and it actually ends up better, or whether they are really trying to hit um, the you know what they actually think it's going to be. I, because it would be I nice if be they could shocked. be like, oh, we're a, it's better than expected. <laughs> yeah, oh, I will be shocked if they are guiding this uh, accurately, like. I would, I would, I mean, that that they like at least just eke over that that right, like that that they're just on the top end or just above the top end of their guidance, um, because that's a, a better story. Like they've at least got to be on the top end of that guidance, you would hope. But they guided wrong last time, so we'll see, right? Like this could hit them even harder than they're expecting. For all we know, we don't know. However. Even though this is a quarter full of drama, Apple feel real good, right? They feel great. Tim feels great. Tim is uh, bullish as Tim's always. Tim's very bullish. The Apple innovates like no company on earth. They're not taking the foot off the gas. Uh, they're confident as ever in the fundamental strength of the business. Strong pipeline of products and services. There's some exciting announcements coming mm. later this year. Well, and and the message that he sent about um, about economic instability. Oh, which I, I appreciated, which is exactly what he should have said, which is we're not taking our foot off a of gas. We'll con- keep investing through near-term headwinds as we always have, and we'll emerge stronger as a result. And this is the thing that, that baffled me about all that talk about like, oh, Apple th- Apple is doing hiring freezes and reducing staff and limiting their hiring because they think there's going to be a recession. It's like, no, 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 no. Apple has all the money. Apple does exactly what Tim Cook says here is you got the money. You keep you keep investing. Um, your competitors are getting hit by the headwinds. You get to go push through it. And when the wind shifts later, uh, oh, you've been working on all this stuff in the meantime, yep. and everything you know everything is actually stronger now because you ha- you were able to weather the storm. You That's are the way in to the prime it. position, right? Like yeah. when yeah. everybody else needs to make cutbacks, you can go harder and faster than ever before, right? Like this has got to this has got to be the way that they that they roll right like mm. you would just you just can only naturally assume that because otherwise what are you doing with the money right like exactly what are you exactly. doing That's with what it? if you're not buying companies with it at like like huge companies with it you're just sitting on it you've got a war chest this is what the war chest is for it's for war yeah right like war is time of austerity that's what you're in Exactly. And th- there is nobody, I think, demanding that Apple show, like, demonstrate for show that they're concerned about the economy, right? Like, you should lay off some people just so it makes it seem like you care, that you're worried or something. It's like, no, hire all the laid off people. <laughs> exactly right. And you get them working on your stuff that's critical yeah. uh, because you've got the the cash, you can do that. Yep. And then you're, you know, you're going to come out stronger. And that is what that like, Tim Cook went out of his way during the analyst call to say that. And I thought that that was good because that's again yes that's what apple should be doing here is just keep on you invest through the downturn or as he said through the near-term headwinds because they they love the wind metaphors and uh that's the right thing to do i knew this was going to be a dramatic quarter 
And it was, right? Like, as soon as we got that news, I knew it was going to be fun to talk about. And, and I had fun talking about that. And I now can't wait for the next one. I'm really excited now. <laughs> uh, what is it? What is it going to be? We don't know. We've got some, uh, some turbulence now. It's fun. Yes. Today's episode is also brought to you by Text Expander from our friends at Smile. Copy and paste is not a good way to keep track of the things that you need to type over and over and over again. Because I know if you're anything like me, sometimes I think I have something on the clipboard that I definitely do not because I've just gone around and done some stuff. And Or <laughs> I have something on my Mac's clipboard, like, great, it's on the clipboard. And then I do something on my iPhone. Now my iPhone's clipboard is on the Mac. Don't rely on the clipboard. Use Text Expander. Text Expander makes you more productive. It takes care of those words and phrases for you. You can store frequently used phrases into snippets, and they'll expand of a short abbreviation as you're typing. Text Expander works in so many of your favorite apps. It's integrated. Um, if you're on in, on iOS, if you're on the Mac, it works everywhere. But also on iOS, you can use their keyboard and have Text Expander snippets wherever you want to use them. Whether you're using Word or Excel, Pages or Numbers, Illustrator, Pixelmator, it doesn't matter. Text Expander is there with you. You have all your snippets everywhere. Text Expander instantly updates new and edited snippets between your Mac, your iPhone, your iPad, or even your Windows PC so you can spend less time typing and more time doing the things you want to be doing. You can even join free snippet groups for recruiters and freelancers and with maybe airport codes, brand names. I joined some years ago that like automatically brand like changed some um, Apple products for me so I get like the correct capitalization of Apple products which can be a nightmare sometimes. And if you don't work alone, you don't have to work alone because Text Expander for Teams lets you manage and share the snippets that you have in your company, whether that's with a couple of coworkers or with hundreds. Go to textexpander.com slash podcast right now and you could get 20% off your first year. That is textexpander.com slash podcast. Get 20% off your first year. And if they ask where you heard about them, tell them it's from Upgrade. Our thanks to Text Expander for their support of this show and Relay FM. So there was a uh, patent filing today Ooh. as we record oh, this. Oh, patents. Patents, you say. Yeah, now, we very, very, I mean, I kind of make it a policy to not talk about patents in general because you talk about one, you'll talk about all of them, and you'll talk about them forever. But this one is funny to me. Uh, it's keyboard, <laughs> keyboard patent. Um, where either Apple's trying to A, find a solution, or B, uh, flip the bird at everybody uh, <laughs> by by patenting a solid glass keyboard for laptops. Um, just a pane yeah. of glass with a. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not quite. They already. In fact, I wrote an article about this last year. I think okay. at, at Mac World. We can put it in the show notes mm-hmm. about them patenting basically the touch bar, except it's the whole keyboard. Yeah. And this one is a little different in that it's the idea here is that it's a glass panel, but that the the key areas are all raised, so they feel like keys. It has a little flexibility to it too, apparently, and and I'm sure uses uh, the force touch technology and all that kind of stuff, or 3D touch or whatever. I'm sure that and. And there was some speculation that ultimately it might be something where they could put a display underneath it where, you know, you could remap the keys and they could change in context and all of those things while still offering kind of physical thing. And this, if you look at that patent too, um, clearly somebody at Apple and, and who knows where and who knows why, but clearly somebody at Apple has been investigating 
ways of taking essentially touchscreen technology and merging it with keyboards. And the first attempt was their big touch bar that was a whole keyboard. And this one seems to be, well, we need it to be more tactile. People need to be able to feel where the keys are. They need to be able to press down and feel some sort of feedback. And, you know, the reason we mentioned patents, because patents are silly, right? Like patents can be totally what Apple's doing and it can be a thing that Apple's totally not doing, but that they invented. So they're going to patent it because why not? That's how patents work. It, it's not a, it's not a product rumor. It's, it's something completely different. Um, but everybody's angry about, well, not everybody, but lots of people are angry about keyboards. Lots of people, people are already about freaking out in the chat room as well. Uh, but we're here, I think, to put, put people's minds at rest today. Mm-hmm. Are we? Are I, we? I mean, I'm going to. I'm going to try. Oh, okay. All right. I'm going to try. Okay. Now, I'm, I'm not. Please. I'm going to ruin this. So you, okay. you go first and then I'll ruin what say, you say. Please, everyone, calm down. I think that this is a good thing. Now, let me tell you why. Before you tweet at me, and tell me how bad it would be for a touch typist. This patent, I believe, is a response to the current laptop keyboard situation because I think that this shows that people at Apple are getting together and they are trying to work out how to fix their keyboard problem. And this was one of the wild ideas that they had, which they're not going to do anytime soon, if ever, but it shows that conversations are happening about how can we make our keyboard problems better? Like, what can we do to stop dust from getting in under the keys? Well, what if there was no under the keys? That's interesting. They put they like put it on a board, they file the patent because someone had the idea, and then they lock it away, and they maybe never come to it again. But I think what it's showing is that they are talking about the keyboard issue. It's better to see stuff like this for them to go, nah, it's good. I think that this is a... Whilst wild idea, it's probably not going to come to the Mac, maybe ever. I think that this is a not Mac product. This is a future computer product, right? Like the idea of this mm. plane. This is. I look at this. I'm like that seems interesting, but seems so futuristic in what they would need to build and probably quite difficult. That it's many, 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 many years into the future before you'd get something like this, which means is probably for some other touch-based product that we may see as a result of the merging of the OSs. That would be my view on this. It seems like it's probably not anytime soon. But I think what it shows is people are trying to get together to talk about changing their keyboards. Try and see the silver lining, hopefully, maybe. Uh-huh. Okay, like so um, you're right in that it shows that somebody, some group at Apple, is trying to think about the keyboard. And mm-hmm. there's no doubt that Apple has heard that this keyboard is a problem from users. They've seen the issues. They keep trying to put Band-Aids on this existing keyboard design. I think it's clear that they're going in a different direction. What is interesting to me about this is that there is this fork in the road, and I think there are people at Apple who tend toward, you know, do you go left or right? One direction (laughs) is, you know what? We got to go backward. I know that Apple hates going backward, but like our old keyboards were pretty good. We've learned some things about designing this keyboard that we can apply to a new keyboard. But what we what we've learned is people want, you know, uh, people people are concerned about the the reliability, and we didn't do a great job, and it we're still kind of band-aiding that. And then there are also, you know, there's this feeling about about travel and sound, and we've done better because I do believe that third generation keyboard actually is way better. 
Um, they have improved it a lot in terms of sort of getting the balance of it. It sounds like things are happening when you press keys, but it's also not crackling like uh, like uh, some some uh, like snap ca- crackle and pop with Rice Krispies when you which the second generation keyboard were like, it was this crazy sound. Like the third generation keyboard is better there. The ingress stuff is better, but it's not perfect. Like they made, they made advances. So they're like, all right, we're going to, we're going to do a new one, knowing what we know, learning what we've learned. And this one's going to be better. And it's going to move backward in some ways and forward in other ways. And it's going to be a more traditional keyboard in a lot of ways because we want it to be a crowd pleaser. We want it to please everybody as much as possible because it turns out we made some assumptions that were wrong. I think that's one approach here, which is like, we're going to back up a little bit in some areas and the next keyboard we're gonna we're gonna do is not going to be more extreme. It's going to be less extreme, but with all of our lessons learned. The other direction is honestly to keep plotting what Apple keeps doing, which is reducing key travel and introducing touchscreens to things. And that's what I wrote in that Macworld article, which is you know that patent about just having a whole flat glass touch bar thing that is your keyboard. Like that is the direction Apple is going. Now, so so what we have to ask ourselves is, is there somebody at Apple who's like, whoa, we went too far? Or is that person who's like, well, they didn't like this keyboard because we didn't go far enough. And <laughs> Where's your and, dust and, now? And, and, and <laughs> as, well, as you said, right, well, we can't get dust into the keyboard if there's no keyboard. <laughs> it's just glass. And maybe it's bumpy glass, but it's just glass. Now, I... I also believe, uh, it, you know, that what they would do is they would pr- put in haptics and they would have textures on the keys so you could feel your way around. And when you press, it's going to give a little vibration. And it's going this patent suggests maybe even a little bit of physical movement to, to fake it and have them be like, no, 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 this is going to be better. This is going to be way better. It's going to be completely reliable because there's no way dust can get under there. Let's do it. And uh, that is... You know, it's possible that they would do something like that. I um, and my wacky idea that I threw out in the MacWorld article uh, last year was uh, that they once they put in like uh, Face ID cameras and stuff into laptops, when they gets that stuff there, they can just like they can just put nothing down there, and they'll just look at your fingers and and know what letters you're typing, and just it'll be entirely a camera based keyboard. Uh, oh, Jason, there's lots, why have there's you lots of do this, right? Right. So so that to me that is the core of this, which is. Apple is always, Apple takes pride in reinventing things, right? And sometimes, and inventing things, but reinventing things. And and like in their core is this like, why do we have to do it this way? Um, this actually came up, uh, was it on liftoff last time? I, it, it was in a space context. It is the, wherever I talked about this, it's the idea that like after the capsules of the of the early part of the space era uh, for the space shuttle project, they're like, we're going to make a plane and it's going to land like a plane and go up with a rocket and it's going to be totally different. And it had lots of issues that came out of that design. And all the modern uh, things that are being designed are capsules again, like they were in the 60s. And it's like, oh yeah, it turns out that there were like, there were lots of advantages in the old way of doing things that we hadn't really thought about. And then having explored this new way of doing things, maybe the the old ways are best, as John Syracuse would say, um, as well as, you know, a modern take on the old ways. Apple really doesn't like that, right? Like Apple wants to be new, wants to be perceived as like pushing everything forward. That's why the touch bar exists is like, how do we use our multi-touch technology on a Mac in a way that, uh, you know, maybe makes sense, maybe doesn't. 
and, and so I think that is the the real question with this keyboard is which Apple is going to win? Which Apple is going to win out here? Is that the practical side of Apple? It's like you know, guys. We didn't have these problems when we just kind of went with a flow and made a really good traditional keyboard. And I like your idea, actually, Mike, of why don't we save the really wacky keyboard ideas for uh, an iOS keyboard, for that next generation iPad where we're going to allow, you know, we're going to offer a uh, a new version of a keyboard, uh, smart keyboard, that's a little more like a trackpad or a little more like a a second screen, something like that. Um, But... You know, again, there's the other people at Apple who are like, nah, these people are just uh, afraid of the new. Let's give them an all glass keyboard and see what they they do. Anyway, we'll see. We'll see. All we have to do is is wait and see what Apple does. But um, it will require for them. It will require them to swallow, if not their pride, a little bit of their like corporate culture of moving forward versus just continuing to push us in this direction they've been heading all along which is flatter and flatter and flatter until there are no keys left i am still gonna hold on to my theory all right uh, that we're gonna we live in hope mike we live in hope hope. all right okay i think that it just shows they're talking about it and and i think that that's fun Uh, although i do find it that the thought kind of hilarious that they're just gonna keep making it until there's no this is no keys on the board it's just a board nope. at that point it's just board it's a war on the war on war on buttons taken to its extreme why the would there be board. keys anymore yeah why who needs who keys needs just board board mark german debbie Wu reporting for bloomberg that apple plans to launch iphones with 3d cameras as soon as next year among other things but let's start with the headline feature here 3d cameras now it is worth noting that apparently the 3D cameras are a 2020 product. Yes. Um, there are some 2019 phone details, but the kind of the headline thing here is 2020 iPhones to get 3D cameras. And I'm sure you may think to yourself, oh, Mike, 3D photos? We don't want to go there again. No, no. 3D camera, terrible name uh, to, to give. <laughs> I, I really don't think that they did a good job of explaining what a 3D, ca- like the idea, like calling it 3D camera. Um, what it is, this is for AR. So if you imagine uh, the camera scanning your environment and helping you place things, so it gives you a good range rather than what it's doing right now, which is I think mostly using software with AR kit and machine learning to kind of understand the environment that you're in. Imagine the technology that's scanning your face for face ID scanning the room instead so face id has a a kind of like a that 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 uses the ir blaster to map your depth and the features of your face this works up to 50 centimeters but this new 3d camera which would be on the back of the of the 2020 iphones would have a 15 feet range using Mm -hmm. laser scanning technology according to bloomberg to scan your environment so I don't know why anyone will particularly want this. I, I don't think that AR has gone the length that Apple wanted it yet, but maybe right. this would help. I think help. it's AR accuracy is what they're going for here. The idea that, that once you can, you've got the power, the processor power, and you've got the sensor detail, you, you can start you know, really augmenting that space because you know exactly where the carpet is and where the table is and where the person is and where you know and they're turned towards you or away from you and you can overlay information on all Mm -hmm. of that and that that to do that in a way that is real you need accuracy 
And they're, they've decided, because I imagine Google is looking at a lot of this and thinking we can just use machine learning to interpret what, what we're seeing. And Apple saying, well, we can use our hardware skill to get much better data, um, ultimately probably to put this in a pair of glasses or something, right? But they're not there yet. So they're also going to put it in, in phones where you can hold it up and, and, and see what's going on. And iPads too, because the rumor is this might actually come to the iPad um, before it comes to the iPhone in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that, yeah, I think that's what they're going for here. Is that they're not their their goal is not to necessarily do three D photos. Although I'm sure that um, they would take that detail in terms of portrait mode and things like that. That extra detail. Uh, but it's an interesting idea. This is far off, but obviously um, Apple plans hardware far off. Uh, so you know, looking at ways of getting better depth information and being able to use that for AR, which Tim Cook has said repeatedly, Apple thinks is a big future future direction. I think AR is a curiosity right now, but I think Apple is just investing a lot in it because they think that ultimately there will be a payoff, and it will probably be something like glasses more than it will be like um, like uh, uh, just in holding our phones up. But it's it's early days yet, so I think it's an interesting idea that that um, they believe in this enough that they're they're working on this three um, D camera stuff and for twenty twenty yeah. again for twenty twenty this 2020. is this is the uh, I was excited last week that the uh, twenty nineteen iPhone rumors season is open I guess I'm excited this week because I guess the twenty twenty iPhone rumor season is now open too yep. I don't right. know about the iPad thing <laughs> that seems strange to me like. That it would come, that anything would come to the iPad first. Apple likes doing AR demos on the iPad because it's got the big screen, true, and there's true. a big screen, and there's a lot of room in there. I don't think it's unreasonable at all that Apple. I don't think Apple would have a problem unveiling a, tech, a piece of tech like that in the spring of 2020 on an iPad Pro, and then bringing it to the iPhone in the fall. I don't. I don't believe that Apple would be like, oh no, no, it must debut on the iPhone. I. I think it actually would be uh, maybe kind of even makes sense for the mm, iPad okay. because the iPad does have that big screen and. They and they demo those all the time, right? Where you're playing an AR game and you're holding up an iPad. So Apple believes that the iPad is a good AR platform too. Yeah, the iPad Pro has only been released in the spring once, so that that's kind of one thing where I'm like, I don't know, maybe, maybe right. that's when they do the device upgrade. But like, it's mostly in the fall, one time in the spring, one time. Yeah, in the summer. I don't know. I mean, the argument here may be that they feel like uh, at this point they want to go from a two-year cycle for the iPad Pro to an 18-month cycle. And so then it goes in the spring of 2020. That's, I, I think, I, I'm, I don't think that's unreasonable. I don't expect you know, that we I need a new iPad Pro this fall. Maybe it's so. always been 18. Maybe it's, it's, I think it's mostly been 18 well, it's months. it's complicated, right? Because the big iPad Pro came out in the fall and then the and then in the spring they the did little the, the little one and then it was, uh, I think, 18 months after that. Then the following June, then 18 months later, September, like October. Like So yeah, maybe like and then the 18 months just falls into spring. Yeah. So maybe they do do it then. Um, the 2020 iPhones could also If there's going to be design changes, it will be then, um, and it may be to accommodate 5G networking capabilities, uh, as the 2019 iPhones won't have 5G and they won't um, they won't have design changes. 5G, by the way, is not a thing we've covered on this show yet, but at some point we will. um, Kind of like what 5G is and why we think it might be a while we we, we may yeah we may have a year and a half to talk about that yeah so at some point we're going to talk about 5g (laughs) i have it in my notes that we will get to it at some point um but we haven't yet but we will so if those are 2020 
what's ha- what's happening in 2019. So according to the report uh, from Bloomberg, there will be a new 10s and 10s Max. So I want I actually want to say this right. So, so follow me here. There will be new 10s and 10s Max sized phones. They say there will be new phones, and then uh-huh. they say, and there will also be an update to the 10R. I don't know what that mm-hmm. means, but they did separate those two new things. Color. Yeah, it it might not be hardware related. We don't know, Maybe not. right? Right. Um, we, we, it's entirely possible that Apple is going to treat the 10R like the SE. Um, then again, as its best selling phone, there is this exactly. question of like, do the, do you want to keep uh, pushing it forward? Do you just change the colors? Do you put in a new processor? Do you lower the price? What do you do with the 10R? Because that's something they could do is keep making the 10R, change the colors. Their margins have gone up on it, and they cut the price a little bit. Um, and keep selling it as their kind of like base model, essentially. Right, well, because they might have to scramble because they didn't expect it was going to be the best-selling phone, right? Could be, could be. So, and that's we'll, something we'll I see. think they could do in the, in this kind of time frame in a year mm-hmm. is what can we do to refresh the 10R uh, for, for um, 2019? I don't know. But the, it is the idea that there's a um, – I, I would call them iPhone 11 and 11 Max, basically. yep. yep. Um, as uh, which again is just going to be kind of uh, more of the same, right? It's this three-step process. It's the the you know what it was a four with six, six S, seven, and eight, right? Where mm-hmm. it was just sort of like the same phone, not the same, but like the same look, look. for four years. Yeah. The uh, eleven Max is looking to introduce a third camera, which also introduces, again, to the OLED phone generation, a difference between the Max and the regular size yeah. phone. All the Plus Club people can lord that third camera over the yep. rest of us. And it is most likely that the third camera would then come in 2020 to the R and the regular, or what would be the 11S at that point, which would then probably be the third, the 3D camera system would be the right. third camera. Um the new camera system in the Max, though, would give a wider field of view and enable a better zoom. So a quote from the article, which I think was kind of fun, it will also capture more pixels so Apple software could, for example, automatically repair a video or photo to fit in a subject that may have been accidentally cut off from the initial shot, according to people familiar with the plans. And it would be a fun demo, right, that you take some photos like, oh, you missed Johnny, and then you, uh, but you can just bring Johnny in because whilst you were taking a regular portrait mode photo, the wide camera was there the whole time so we can just crop it and there you go that's brilliant so that'd be really fun it's a very apple thing to do yeah I that's like a lot of clever things that involve um you know running the running the camera when you haven't run it uh and having things on the edges that you don't see or that are can be added later uh in order to fix you know because we're dumb and we make dumb decisions and if the the phone is smarter and it's got room to spare to like always shoot video so that when you you know press record you've always got the option of going back like a second or two before you press record or a foot or two wider outside the frame that's all that's all very clever stuff that they could do with a combination of hardware and software which is apple's thing um, the also live photos is looking to see an update. Uh, the video portion will double to six seconds. It's great. I love live photos. I'd love to see more. I actually could imagine that idea of being able to bring more people in could be a live photo we like thing, right? That seems similar in that you know what live photos is doing is doing more than what you expect the camera's doing when you take the picture, right? Like it's also taking videos. So maybe there's some kind of like links there with what that's with what's happening. Um. Of course, we're going to see a faster processor uh, and also a better Face ID sensor. I wonder if this is going to be 
the actual face ID too, right? That we were hoping for because mm. it's it appeared right like that after teardowns and from information that the face ID sensor in the uh, 10s was unchanged and that any differences were coming from the machine learning capabilities of the chip of the system on a chip. So maybe this will be some updates to the face ID sensor to to maybe make face ID better in some way. Um, apparently, Apple is testing USB-C for the iPhone. Of course they are, but that's not going to be 2019. Um, the report also confirms rumors we've seen elsewhere of a 10-inch iPad and a new iPad mini on the way. I don't really have a lot to say about uh-huh. that. Um, mm. Like, I don't get the iPad mini, though. Uh, I I think when we see it, we will get it because I think I it's so. going to be... I think I think Apple, because the iPad has done so well, and and really defines the tablet market. And I think Apple made some smart decisions last year with their low-cost iPad. So like doing a new version of the low-cost iPad that maybe has a uh, a little bit bigger screen, um doing a an iPad mini that will also be in the low-cost category, basically like saying here are our uh education or for kids, low-cost iPads. We've got the Pros and we've got these. I think it's fine. I think this is like um, doing an iPhone SE kind of thing where it's like it's good to have the the product line differentiated. And if they do a new iPad mini, it's probably because they realize that there is, you know, why hasn't it gone away? It's because there is a market for it. It's not a huge market, but there is a market for it. And so keep it alive. Like, why why not do that? I, I think it's not going to be an earth-shattering product right it's this is low-end ipads but low-end ipads are a thing and they do pretty well for apple you know so i think uh i i i think when they put it in context you'll be like oh yeah okay like what they price it at and how they describe like what its positioning is i i i'm prepared to understand what they're doing there i think it's my my, when i say like i don't get it it's like why did it wait so long and then do it, you know? Like, it, that's what just seems so strange to me. I mean, that that's like, why did they wait so long for the Mac Mini, too? I think it wasn't a priority. And then at some mm-hmm. point, they realized, okay, if we're going to... We, we, we can't put this off any longer. If we're going to keep this around, we need to right. do an update. And then we it'll kill it for another four years. If we don't want to kill it, we have to do something. Okay. Yeah. But that seems like such a... I mean, okay, but it's like... Really? All right. But anyway, anyway, uh, there was some iOS stuff that came out in this report, um, which I expect is just the beginning of what we will see of a larger report from Gurman later in the year, as he would tend to do leading up to WWDC. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before we get to that, let's talk about FreshBooks. FreshBooks make my life so much easier because I am a person who sends invoices. FreshBooks will be able to make your life easier and save you time because they offer Great tools to help simplify big things in your life, stuff like invoicing, expense tracking, and having the ability to get paid online for the work that you do. FreshBooks has drastically reduced the time it takes for their over 10 million customers to deal with their paperwork. Freelancers, small businesses, self-employed people. If you ever send invoices, you should be trying out FreshBooks. Their tools are so simple to use. I am barreling up jason on my 2000th invoice sent in freshbooks over the near five-year history of our company 
I think I would have lost my mind if I was trying to do all of those in pages or something. Uh, we, I, mm-hmm. I've sent, I'd done that previously with some other stuff and hated it. And as soon as we set up a company, we signed up for FreshBooks immediately, and it's one of the best decisions that our business has ever made. FreshBooks makes it super simple to send out invoices and to keep track of them. Uh, FreshBooks can automatically send out late payment email reminders for you if you don't, if you don't want to have to waste time chasing. Uh, invoices and payments but also every time you log into FreshBooks you can see what's changed since the last time you were there so you can take note of something that's delayed or you can take note of a payment that's come in even FreshBooks has a ton of integrations with other services which is amazing I absolutely love FreshBooks. They are offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial for listeners of this show with no credit card required. All you have to do is go to freshbooks.com slash upgrade and enter upgrade in the how did you hear about us section and you can get your hands on that 30-day free trial. If you're listening to the show and you haven't yet tried FreshBooks, now is the time to try it out. Our thanks to FreshBooks for their support of this show and Relay FM. So shall we uh shall we talk about iOS 13 stuff here? So yeah, dark mode and improvements to CarPlay hmm. is what we'll see on the iPhone and across everything, all right? So okay. dark mode sounds great. I've wanted a yeah. dark mode for a long time. Yeah, that, that I think we knew this was coming when they added it to the Mac, right? Like why would you not put that on your other devices? And mm-hmm. that means that app developers will be able to, you know, sense which mode it's in and all of that and that'll be uh, nice. Uh, improvements to CarPlay. I don't really. I I never use CarPlay, but like improvements to that system would be great because it seems like maybe it's getting long in the tooth now. I, I don't recall Apple making a big song and dance for CarPlay in quite some time. So yeah. you know, I, again, I don't think either of us are well versed enough in CarPlay to say much about it. But like, great. No, I had another rental car with CarPlay in it two weeks ago. That was exciting, and uh, yeah, it it's still CarPlay. <laughs> New iPad home screen. Now, this is something I'm very excited uh-huh. for the thought of uh-huh. this. Just sure. just something to break up that grid of icons, right? Like, you know, and I'm sure we're going to spend a lot of time over the next few months as we lead up to WWDC thinking about what this is going to look like. And, and may, hopefully, maybe, who knows, some more details might come out. But uh, that is something that definitely needs some work. Um, and I will be very excited to see what that could look like. You know, my hope would be, and uh, you know shortcuts and uh, widgets and files and everything all living there like this big mix between what iOS and the Mac can give you from a desktop would be super fun something I'm really struggling to get my head around is the ability to tab through multiple versions of a single app like pages in a web browser I don't really get the the idea of the tabbed interface anyway. Um, I don't really, I can't conceive much of what this is going to give me other than multiple instances of like Google Sheets, which would be great. But like, I feel like I haven't fully got my head around what this could mean. Yeah, I feel like this might be their new take on multitasking, mm-hmm. which is that you have, uh, you can have multiple items in tabs, and then you can have. Um, tabs in a couple different configurations. That's my guess. So you okay. could have like you can have um, you know three or four apps together in tab in a tab set and tab between them. Tab you know to to move between different apps that are all up together. But you could also like pull out a tab and put it next, and then you've got uh, split view. Um, and that you could do that potentially with 
uh, mul multiple instances of an app so that you could have uh, you know, a text editor up with a couple of different documents and different tabs or put them side by side and it's the same app. Um, it's all in the details. There have been so many different ways that you could implement this, but that that's kind of my question is, um, are they going to do tabs and multitasking or is tab the multitasking where you have, instead of having sort of like two app windows like we have now, you instead have two tabs side by side, which mm -hmm. would allow them to build into that kind of like Chrome, that application Chrome, I guess, it wouldn't be browser Chrome, the ability to indicate which one is at the, at the front, right? Like all these other issues that we have with the current iPad multitasking. So it may be that, which is they've decided to, what's the metaphor we can use that probably they'll extend to the Mac at some point too, that is, uh, you know, multiple instances of an app, so basically multiple windows, uh, as well as uh, quick switching between different apps that you're using, uh, and then the ability to have them on the share share space on a screen. Whether that's you know a two up, or whether you even have the ability to you know put three tabs at once, or you know a tall tab and two wide tabs on a on a landscape display or something like that. Lots of different questions here about this um, tab metaphor stuff, but it may be that they've just decided like the tab metaphor, everybody gets it, everybody loves it. And uh, we can use that as the metaphor for having different instances of apps and having apps running together. I don't know. Improvements to file management as well. Tantalizing, isn't it? Tant tantalizing idea. Uh, improvements well, to file files management. the files app continues to frustrate me greatly every day. So I would love some yeah. improvements. I, I use it and I am amazed at, um, I have that moment when I use the files app where I'm like, it is amazing that I can finally do this on the iPad. And then I have that moment where I step back again and I think, but this is like, uh, you know, a very small cup of water to somebody who's dying of thirst in the desert. Like it is way too little for what it should be mm -hmm. better than, you know it's better than what it was but still i have those moments where i'm like oh i've got a file somewhere how do i get it here and it's like you know i'll launch this app and then i go to files and i navigate here and it's just you know it's it's uh it's better but it needs to be way better and it, this also encompasses all the other things we talked about in terms of external storage devices and network storage devices and you know other stuff like that is just not good enough yet that they're they're down the path but they need to get way further down so improvements to file management could mean anything but i'm gonna um choose to be optimistic that it means everything for now because it's mm. january or february it's uh in june i'll be much uh, more cynical about it but in in uh, winter i will still dream of a summer with uh with good file management on ios should we do some hashtag ask upgrade questions let's do it Nepali says, HomePod annoys me when I'm using Siri on my on my phone and HomePod kind of jumps into the request. Instead of saying, Ahoy Telephone, uh, I think it should be like, Ahoy HomePod, to avoid confusion. Do you agree? I I think maybe it should be an option because uh, I have yes. this happen too. I would love the but, option. But I know why Apple's doing it this way. Is Apple is trying to build a system where all your devices have the same trigger and then based on the context it's choosing the right device to execute your command. And I have to say, I've been using it uh, the last few months and have felt like uh, after initially this not being the case, that in my house, when I shout out a command to the HomePod, um, I see my watch fire. I see my phone turn like light up. Every device lights up in this house. It drives and then, me <laughs> And then the HomePod answers when I'm talking to the HomePod. Um, and that has, in the last couple of months, that has worked really reliably. 
And I don't know what they're doing exactly, but they're trying to do what Apple's goal is, is they want the lady to be, you know, the, 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 or the British gentleman, the assistant to be everywhere and available from every device. And they don't want you to think about the context. They don't want you to have to talk to a specific device for a specific context. They want you to say it in the air and the right device will tell you what to do based on your body position and where your wrist is and where your phone is laying down and if it's been used recently and and how you're talking to the HomePod and all of those things get integrated together. It does some very quick uh, judgments about who you're talking to, and then that device picks it up. I think that is the right goal for Apple. I think it should be that. I think that they need to keep working on it, but I think that ultimately you should just talk to the assistant in the air and it should figure out what it needs to do. Like to the point where if I, if, if the iPhone says, oh, you want to play music, but I'm laying down and I'm charging, and I think maybe it's doing this already, it's like, you probably don't want me to play the music, right? There's a HomePod in this room. You're almost certainly talking to the HomePod, right? It should be smart enough to do that. That said, I do think that putting power in the user's hands to say, you know what? I just want to address the HomePod separately from my phone, um, and I want to change the trigger word to be different. Mm -hmm. Like... You should be able to do that. You should. You should. Because I have a thing sometimes where it's like, I have like a shortcut and I want to run and I know the HomePod's going to jump in and it's not going to work, right? Or like I have a question I want to ask or a thing I want to do and the HomePod's going to say, you have to do that on your iPhone. It's like, well, I knew that, but I can't. Right? Right? Like I know this. Right. right. I know and this. It, it should be smart enough to know, oh, this command isn't for me. Let's try it out on the iPhone, right? And yeah. it doesn't always do that. I, no. Like it's a good goal. And maybe they'll get there eventually. But in the meantime, yes, I think you should be able to just talk to the HomePod and mm-hmm. and say, maybe even in addition to, maybe it's, a, maybe it's a specific wake word that you can demand the HomePod to process instead, uh, while it'll also listen to your Ahoy telephones. I don't know, but I just, I feel like being a good, uh, friendly device for the human beings who use it will, it, it would be a nice feature for Apple to add. So last week, uh, Apple and American Airlines announced that you'll be able to listen to Apple Music for free without paying for their Wi-Fi when you're in the air. So Doug asks, do you think American Airlines will also allow free streaming of Apple's video service? Absolutely yes, because the the, the catalog (laughs) of video is much smaller than the catalog of music, so they can preload all of those onto the the planes. Yeah, and and the video service is more tantalizing for when you're on a plane than music, Mm -hmm. right? You want video. Yes. Video is what you want. So like yes. Apple becomes the in-flight entertainment for American Airlines. That's like you want yep. that. Like because yep, yep, a yep. lot of you see Netflix on a lot of these too, right? Like I've, I've seen this like you get on I think maybe British Airways do this like you can just watch Netflix. Um, I know I've seen it I've seen or maybe it's Virgin. I've seen this on a on a uh, airline that I've used where like we have Wi-Fi but you don't have to pay for the Wi-Fi if you have a Netflix account to just watch Netflix, which is brilliant right rather than having to just then you have a screen you know is going to be good right and it's not you know so you could just watch your content be awesome chris asks do either of you use apple pay cash i've been hesitant to link my bank account to it or find another way to fund it and i don't tend to do peer-to-peer payments but i like the idea of using it uh, as i would cash now i can't because i still it's still not available here which is still a yeah. surprise remains it's a annoying. surprise to me but do you use apple pay cash 
Uh, occasionally. I haven't used it in a little while. It's mm-hmm. mostly when I'm around a bunch of other nerds and yes. uh, like at your bachelor party, right? Where I was oh, Apple Pay yeah. Cash sending yeah. to people because it was like super easy to do. All I had to do was link it to my debit card. At that point, I can move cash on and off of my bank account through the debit card interface. And uh, I find it convenient. I wish more people had it. But I mean, that is it, um, when I'm in a context when I can use it, I love it because I don't, it's another way I don't need to use cash and it's like easier than saying I'm going to send you a PayPal yeah, or something because you don't even like need to open an app right you just do it in text messages which is even mm-hmm. which is brilliant yeah. right yeah like, so it's like Casey List I need to send Casey List $48 and there it is and it's gone and he's got the money and he can do with it as he pleases and that's nice I wish you know this is one of those things where it's just like Apple Pay adoption has gone fairly well in the US uh, because they added that latest round of stores, you know, Taco Bell and Target and things like that. But it's nothing like it is in the UK. And I, I would really like it to be something I could I could count on here. And then you've got the Apple Pay Cash thing, which is like, that would be great too. But, you know, it's just, it it is not, it's, it's a slow, it's a slow pickup, I think, for people. So I'm glad it's there. Yeah. But, you know, I, so I do use it occasionally, but only very occasionally. And finally today, Will asks, since I got a Kindle, Amazon has been trying to sell me accessories for the Kindle. Most often, the top recommendation from them is a case. Jason, do you use any Kindle accessories? Uh, and if so, what would you recommend? I, um, so I have tended to not use a Kindle with a case, especially because so many of the Kindles now are, are small and light. Like I've got the second generation Oasis. The first generation Oasis comes with a case. So I used it and it was nice because, you know, it turns on when you open it and closes when you close it, it, uh, turns back off. And the first generation Oasis, you could actually pull the case off and it's like a battery case. And then it was super thin and light. Um, the second generation Oasis doesn't come with a case. Uh, it's bigger. It's a little bit heavier, but it's still thin and light. I um, I used a slip case for a long time. So when I traveled, I would have basically like an iPod sock, but for Kindles, uh, like neoprene case that I'd slide the, the Kindle into so it wouldn't get beaten up while I was traveling. But I'd just pull it out and read it without a case. Um, I just bought, though, like three weeks ago, I bought a Kindle Oasis case. Uh, I think the Amazon Kindle Oasis case, which is basically you snap it into a, a little plastic shell and it's got a cover on it. And um, I did that because uh, my current uh, slipcase for the Oasis, I don't really like it. Um, and I saw the value of maybe having something that would be really easy to take out of my bag and just flip open the, the cover and read it um, and then flip it closed and put it back in the bag. So I did buy one um, and I like it, but not enough to keep it on the Kindle most of the time. So when I'm at home, I don't use that case. I tried it for a while, and it's like it makes everything thicker, makes it more awkward to hold. I prefer just the uh, naked robotic core, but uh, when I'm traveling, I'll put that case on it. So, And that's the standard. I think it's the Amazon standard case for the Kindle Oasis. So it depends on how you use it. If it never leaves home, I don't see why you need a case on it. But for travel, I would recommend at the very least some sort of slip case, if not a full-on uh, cover for travel, so it doesn't get beaten up. I want to recommend Pop Sockets for Kindles. I use Pop okay. Sockets a lot and love them. I use one on my iPhone. It's the Pop Socket is that little, little disc that you can pull out and hold on to, right? It's got the little, like, steps that it goes connect you pull Mm -hmm. it out push it back in you probably have seen these maybe didn't know what they were uh go to pop sockets website it'll be in the show notes you can see what they are and you'll be like oh i've seen those everywhere and now you know what they are this is how i was when i discovered pop sockets like i feel like i've seen those everywhere i didn't know what they were um 
I got a Kindle to to read a book for Cortex a while ago, and I found I found the Kindle whilst super thin, super light, to just not be light enough for one hand. Like it was, it was so close, but like just ah, it was just wasn't light enough. Pop socket like perfectly solves this for me because it just gives you a better way to hold it. You're holding it like in the middle, right? Like you and you're just putting it on your hand, and you don't really like grip it. You just kind of rest it, and it's secure. So that is what I I recommend. That I put a pop socket on my Kindle, and I'm very happy with it. So that is what I will recommend to people to try. So pop sockets, they're okay. brilliant. If you would like to send in a question to help close out an episode of Upgrade, all you have to do is send out a tweet with the hashtag #AskUpgrade to do that, and you and it will be sele- maybe selected for a future episode of this show. Please keep sending them in. Uh, I have a great backlog of questions here, so we're we're a little bit behind, Jason, but we're going to get to them. We just have so much good stuff to talk about. Right I know, now. I know. We'll have to do a special expanded ask upgrade at some point. Soon. Yeah, we're going to have to because I've got some great ones building up. Here. Hopefully, no news will happen in the next week. Yeah. There'll be nothing, nothing will go on. Mark Gurman is going to go on vacation and sit on a beach somewhere and not write about rumors. Mm-hmm. And Apple's not going to announce anything. Mm-hmm. And we're all, already through the earnings and like literally nothing is going to happen in the next week. And then we can do our Ask Up Grade uh, special episode. And then maybe tech companies yeah. will stop doing terrible things. And then like maybe, maybe. we can, maybe it seems unlikely though. Check in next week and find out. <laughs> uh, if you want to find the show notes for this week's episode, they should hopefully be in your podcast app of choice but if they're not there there's always a place you can go go to relay.fm slash upgrade slash 231 and you can get those you can go to sixcolors.com for jason's work you can go to incomparable.com as well for many wonderful shows about mm-hmm. lovely pop culture things. all the great shows all the great shows some of the great shows also exist at relay.fm slash shows mm-hmm. where you can find stuff that both me and Jason do. Hey, follow me on Instagram. I am iMike. I-M-Y-K-E on Instagram. Uh, I'm also on Twitter as well. So is Jason. He is at Jsnell. J-S-N-E-L-L. We'll be back next time. Thanks so much to our sponsors, FreshBooks, Eero, and Smile. Say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, everybody.